on the Hard Rocker Sports Network from KTech 91.3. This is Hard Rocker Huddle, your podcast home for South Dakota Mines Athletics. I'm Josh Van Valkenberg Gernert. Uh, this is the Hard Rocker Huddle. Today we're going to have two guests on the show. First, Hannah Wendell, assistant athletic trainer. And then later on we'll have assistant coach of the track and field team, Jill Yurecki. All right, first, just starting off, we're talking a little bit about Athletic Training Month uh, with Hannah. First, just kind of explain, you know, what Athletic Training Month is, what it means to you, and what the overall purpose of it is. Yeah, so March is National Athletic Trainers Month, and basically it is it was developed to bring awareness of our profession and kind of what our everyday job entails and to kind of recognize those athletic trainers working in all different types of settings. So, yeah, I think it was kind of a, I'm not entirely sure how long it has been, like when it was first developed, but that's kind of its purpose, and I think it was, I mean, a great a great thing to start because most people don't necessarily know what athletic training actually entails. Yeah, and it's it's not only that they don't know what it entails, I don't think a lot of people even know what it is to begin with, at least right. outside of the athletic Yeah, we realm. typically are uh, mistaken for personal trainers a lot, or, you know, developing, you know, exercise programs or weight loss programs, and that's, you know, that sometimes plays a role in our job, but that's like a very small piece of what we do. Sure, and that kind of goes into actually what I was going to talk about next was just the public perception of what you do compared to the reality of what you do. Obviously people, you know, who watch sports on TV see athletic trainers. They see you running onto the field or the court. But other than that, they don't know what you do. So can you just walk through a little bit of what you do on a day-to-day basis, maybe when there's not a game day and then on a game day as well? Sure. So for me, I mean, that's part of the the perks of my job. I see it as kind of a benefit is every day is different. You never really know kind of what you're going to walk into, but usually I will have my treatment times open in the mornings. And then, so that's for me to work with any athletes who have any long-term ongoing rehabilitations or injuries that need treatments. Um, And then I try to schedule a little bit of a break in my day and try to take a lunch break Um, and then in the afternoons I'll have a few more hours of treatments and then about an hour of taping pre-practice treatments anything that they need to get their bodies feeling good and ready to go and then I am also present at practices so if anything were to happen during practice if they were to get injured need first aid etc then I would be there and ready to respond to that Um, and then typically I will have about a half an hour to an hour of treatments post-practice for anything that happened during practice or just recovery purposes for them to utilize. Sure, and what are your primary sports here? I primarily work with football and our men's basketball team. Sure, and are those the only sports you work with then, or are there some sports where occasionally you have to help out a little bit? Or Yeah, so we, as a staff here, have our sports I mean, we have sports assignments where we're separated out. So those are the two where I am 
most focused on. Um, but I also help out with our women's basketball team because we will um, we'll kind of travel together, myself and Alyssa, our other athletic trainer that works with women's basketball. And then otherwise, I work a little bit with the other sports. If anybody, you know, if they needed to be gone for a day, you know, we all kind of pitch in and help out. Um, I've covered men's soccer in the past. I've worked with some track athletes in the past. So I've worked with pretty much everybody, but those two are just kind of my main sports where if something's happening, those are the ones that I'm there for. Sure, and yeah, you obviously you're pretty busy because you have obviously your in-season sports that are primary, but then like over the next month, you still have your primary sport and then your out-of-season sport yep. comes back into play here for the next month, so yes. you're going to get pretty busy again yes. here. Football and basketball, they cross over a lot, so I go from in-season football right to in-season basketball and then from in-season basketball right to spring season football so yeah it keeps me busy but pretty much I love it. pretty much all year round there yes um one of the things that i kind of you know just talking about athletic training as a whole there's been so much growth and development over it over the last 10 years or so you know when i was in high school it just wasn't like, I was, went to a pretty big high school, and we had one athletic trainer. We never had athletic trainers in middle school. We never had athletic trainers in elementary school. Now that's starting to develop. You know, even when I was in college, I think we had two athletic trainers. So it's just staffing-wise it's developing, and then it's also developing into other areas. When I was talking to Caleb, you kind of mentioned, you know, that just like Amazon and people like that are mm -hmm. having athletic trainers on staff. What does that kind of growth, you know, mean for the profession? I, th I think it's great. Um, it really goes to show that our kind of education and National Athletic Trainers Month has gone to play a big role in that, of people are starting to realize all that athletic trainers can do and all that they can provide, and they're realizing that they're a really big asset to have on hand. So, yeah, like, like you said, there's, you know, the industrial setting, so working in companies like Amazon or airlines will employ athletic trainers to work with their employees. If they were ever to get injured on the job, they can work with them, and that kind of helps, I guess, reduce their risk of having to pay out workers' comp for an extended period of time. Um, so they're starting to utilize us. Um, Athletic trainers are being utilized in like the performing arts setting, so with theater, dance, um, and performances, um, and then also in the clinic setting, which has been going on for a while. But even that looks a lot different than what your, you know, typical high school or collegiate setting that most people are aware of. So, yeah, and part of it too is just it's not it's grown in other areas like. Obviously, mental health has always been important, but it wasn't maybe realized how important it was right. until the last five years. Concussions always been important, but we have, haven't known enough about them to cover them and do all the concussion baseline testing that's done. How important is it to keep, you know, as an athletic trainer, to keep edu educated and kind of keep up with those trends? Yeah, it's super important. So obviously, research is continually happening on a wide variety of subjects. So some of the things that maybe were done 
you know, 10, 15 years ago aren't necessarily standard practices anymore because we've, we've learned that there are better and more beneficial ways to kind of treat our patients. Um, continuing education is a big piece. We are actually required to get 50 continuing education hours or credits every two years, um, which is comparable or I think even more than a few states require for their physical therapists. So we're really, because we have to know such a wide variety of topics and how to treat them, continuing education is really important and that's one of the things that the NATA and our Board of Certification really push for and strive for is that we're always continuing to grow and learn and educate ourselves so that we can provide the best care for our athletes. Yeah, and there's, in addition to that, there's definitely, I'd, not, not probably not within athletic departments, but I, th- I think there's definitely an underappreciation to what athletic trainers do as a whole. Like, I mean, during COVID, there were a couple times where s- schools almost couldn't have sports because their athletic trainers were out. Like, there would not be sports probably anywhere without athletic trainers. So, again, it's just the, the importance of athletic training has gone up along with the development. And I think the a lot of that is due to your NATA They've just done a lot of work and are one probably one of the better organizations around for employees. Yes. Uh, for you personally, how you know what what was your journey to getting into athletic training? Did you go to school for it, and what kind of developed your passion for it, and why did you get into it? Yeah. So I went to the University of Wisconsin Eau Claire, and I completed my graduate in my undergraduate in athletic training there, Um, but I kind of got into it. I had always kind of taken a liking to and a passion for the medical field in general, Um, but I kind of thought physical therapy was gonna be my route, and so that was kind of my plan, was I was gonna go get my undergraduate in athletic training and then go on to PT school right away so that I could have the dual credential And then once I got into my athletic training program and into my clinical rotations, I kind of realized that I really liked that that section. And I liked that kind of situation of being able to be on the field with them. And you get to develop a lot stronger relationships with each of your patients or athletes which was my favorite part of the job. And so then I was like, I think I'll stay here for a little bit longer and, you know, kind of take advantage of it while I can afford to have a crazy schedule because athletics is always crazy. Um, But, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. And, I mean, I still, still love what I do, and I love that every day is different and that I get to know my athletes as human beings and as people in addition to knowing them as an athlete or as a patient. Um, so that's really cool. All right. I don't actually don't have any other questions for you, Hannah. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, our next guest is Jillian Yuricki, the assistant coach for track and field. Thanks again, Hannah. Thank you.
Our second guest today is assistant coach of the track and field team, Jill Yuricki. Um, just first getting into it, let's start a little bit, talk about how you grew up. I know you grew up in Metamora, Illinois, is that right? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a suburb of Peoria, but a little smaller. What was life kind of like growing up there and your siblings and family life? Yeah, so um, Metamore is definitely a smaller town, far enough away from everything to be a little bit annoying, but um, had an older brother. He's like two years older than me. Um, kind of one of those relationships where if he was doing something, I wanted to do it better, and I just followed him around all the time. Um, and then both of my parents were pharmacists, but they also coached on the side. So, um, yeah, so kind of just followed them around too. Sure. Um Growing up was having, you know, a brother two years older than you. Did that kind of help in growing your competitiveness and just overall interest in getting involved in sports? Yes, definitely. So he played football and ran track in high school. And um, I remember coming to some of his meets and he was a pole vaulter and a hurdler and stuff. So I, my main events were the high jump and long jump. So we kind of had different events, but we were still um, competitive with each other at the same time, kind of pushing each other all the time. So, yeah. Sure. And then uh, early on, what kind of initially drew you into, I guess, your initial interest in sports and what yeah. kind of sports did you play early on in life? Yeah. So throughout middle school, my parents put me in every single sport they could. So I played basketball, ran track, um, cross country, and softball, all the things. Um, and then getting into high school, I only did volleyball and track. Those were kind of my go-to sports. Um, my mother was a high school track coach my entire life growing up. So um, after my meets or practices in middle school, we would go up to um, the high school and I would just watch her coach her jumpers and she would have them doing drills. And I just remember thinking like, I think I could hop in there and do that. Like I turned out I was pretty good at it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, so it worked out that way. But Maybe a little bit of an understatement there yes. since you wound up a Big Ten <laughs> jumper. But. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, just kind of what, I guess what initially, obviously having parents who coach the mm -hmm. sport, but what, you know, kind of made you realize that track and volleyball were the sports you wanted to focus on in high school rather than basketball or any of the other sports? Yeah, well... I stopped playing softball because I couldn't hit the ball. It just I could not get the bat to hit the ball for some reason, so dropped that one pretty fast. Um, cross country, I think I just was not a fan of um, running far distances. I was like, I can take 10 steps and jump pretty high, but I cannot run three miles very fast. So <laughs> kind of dropped that one. And then, um, and then I think volleyball and track just... Uh, I gravitated towards those two especially. And then um, played club volleyball in high school, um, and then also did uh, USATF track in the summers and stuff like that. My mom would, luckily she was my high school coach, so um, I would compete unattached in the summers and stuff, um, and she would take me all over the place, so it was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah being able to play club and stuff is a whole whole different level yes, compared to... Yes, definitely. Um, so what was it, you know, about club and about, I guess, the you, you mentioned USTA track... Um, what was it about those that kind of, you could have just played high school, what made you make the decision to take a little bit further and play club? Um, I think my high school coaches definitely pushed me to do club a lot. Um, I think just like in the summers I had nothing better to do, so um, kind of kept me out of trouble too a little bit. Yeah, so, small, small town. Yes, yeah. yes. What else are you going to do other than go and jump at your high school? So <laughs> that's that's what I did a lot, and then... Um, 
I remember trying to decide if I wanted to play one or both in college. Um, I was kind of being looked at by, like, mid-majors and stuff for volleyball, so I was kind of thinking about doing both, and I remember um, going up to a volleyball tournament in Chicago, and uh, so I was an outside hitter in high school, and... I was pretty good because I could jump very high and I could swing over most blocks. So we'd go up there and I remember my dad uh, was trying to help me decide which one I wanted to do and we were walking past all the courts and he's like, okay, look at all of the outside hitters. They were all tall, 5'10 to 6'2 girls that could jump up and swing over a block. So I was like, okay, I'm one of the many in volleyball, but um, track, I stood out. I think it's easier to stand out just because your results don't lie. There's You can't hide behind a bad performance or a good performance like the proofs in the pudding kind of with track so sure yeah and you had some success in high school as well you were a four-time all-conference all-state team mvp and set your i don't know if this is still standing but your high jump school record while you were in high school yeah um what did all that success mean to you and what other you know individual and team successes did you have both in track and i guess in volleyball as well yeah, I just had a lot of fun through high school, and I think um, I think the pressure was a lot lower in high school. Where uh, so I did high jump and long jump, and then a four and a open two, or a four and a four by four every single meet. And um, I don't know. I think it just kind of stacked up, and it worked out. So I hold the I still hold the high jump and the long jump record. But um, my mother is still the coach, so uh, and she's a very good coach. So I would not be surprised if that high jump record falls pretty soon. So. Um, yeah, but um, I think especially at the conference meets, like, we were just trying to score points. We wanted to win. I had – so our head coach, he, like, before all the conference meets, he went up to each of those individuals and was like, okay, this is – you need to score these points. Everyone had a role. He made sure that everyone knew what they had to do because track can be such an individual sport that he tried to make sure that we knew we're doing it for the greater good. We're doing it for the team. So, Yeah. Yeah, and obviously you you are kind of already mentioned you were being recruited for volleyball as well by mm-hmm. some mid majors. So you must have a bunch of recruiting stories. Did you take visits for both sports? Did you take? Obviously, you wound up choosing track, mm-hmm. but do you just have any good recruiting stories? Um, yeah. So I was really interested in track at. I think just at a young age, just because. So my babysitter, actually, when I was younger, her name was Amanda Duvendak. She was a very, very good 800 runner. She ended up running at the University of Illinois. And I was very lucky that I had a lot of uh, strong female figures in my life to look up to, and Amanda was one of those. So when she went to Illinois and was running there, I was like, I want to go to Illinois. I want to be Amanda. So um, obviously not in the 800. I can't run that fast. But um So when she went there, I was like, okay, how can I get in there? So I was, like, going to camps at Illinois um, my freshman and sophomore years, and um, I got along with the coaches really, really well. I remember after one of my long jump days, the coach came up to me, and he was like, when you get after your junior season, he's like, call me and let me know. And I was like, perfect. This is working out great. Um, So I remember getting – he started calling me my junior year, and I remember after my volleyball season, he was like, okay, well, how do you feel now that volleyball is done? And I was like, I still have another year. Like, volleyball's not over. And at the time, um, coaches couldn't call you until May going into your senior year. So he was calling me a little too early. So he just had the wrong year and stuff. So it ended up being a recruiting violation. So he was flagged by the NCAA. So he, instead of calling me in May, he wasn't allowed to, like, contact me until October. So during that time, um, 
So that's kind of just a funny recruiting story, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But I was still looking at, like, other Big Ten schools, and um, I was mainly looking at Illinois, Indiana, and Iowa. So, of course, just the surrounding states want to stay close to home, but also wanted that big school experience because I think just from a small town, I just wanted a bit of a change of pace and a bit of more of a challenge. So um, took a visit to Iowa. I just fell in love with the program, love with the coaches. We had They had a female coach at the time. Her name was Molly Jones, and um, she was a great recruiter, and uh, I was really looking forward to competing for her. And then, yeah, they didn't have any jumpers at the time, so she marketed it as, like, you would be the one coming in, all that stuff. So yeah. Sure, yeah. Was that something that kind of drew you to? I know, like, some of those Big Ten schools obviously are elite when it comes mm-hmm. to jumping and just general track and field, and Iowa was not necessarily like that, at least yeah. at that point. Was mm-hmm. that something that kind of drew you there as opposed to just being one of the track and field mm-hmm. athletes at maybe a different school? Yeah, so um, I think that did a lot for the recruiting, like you said, just because, like, looking at Indiana, I think at the time they had two girls that were going over six foot. I think Illinois had... Uh, a girl that was going over 6'2", I think. She was a very, very good jumper. Um, And those would have been great teammates, I think, girls that I could look at. But Iowa, I just felt like... I felt like I that was just a perfect fit for me. So, yeah. And like I said, they had a female coach, which I was just ecstatic about. And then um, I stepped on campus the first day, and the coach comes up to me and hands me a letter that she was leaving. So I stepped on campus, I signed for this coach, all of this stuff. Um, we didn't have any upperclassmen, and then my coach leaves. So it's like I didn't have – it was weird. So our long jump coach ended up coaching me through the indoor season, so we didn't. I didn't really have a whole lot of guidance in that way. And then they had also signed four other straight-up high jumpers. So there were five of us that just kind of didn't know where we were supposed to go. And then um, uh, Paige Bohannon ended up coming in. She was a very, very good – um, athlete. She had just graduated. Um, I think she went to Northern Iowa and she was an All-American in the heptathlon. So um, again, I think I just lucked out with very strong female coaches that I could look up to. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, when you kind of get there that first day and your coach leaves, was there a part of you that was like, oh, maybe I should think about transferring or mm-hmm. what, were you still kind of like Iowa's home to me? Yeah. Um, I, everyone, I think, thinks about transferring at some time, um, but I just decided, like, I mean, they invested in me, so I just thought I would give the program a chance, and then um, they just kept saying, like, we're going to find, we're going to get someone in here that really knows what they're doing, and I think Paige really did. She was, she was a really great coach, so, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you kind of talked about all your recruiting stuff, but then you also had, you had quite a bit of success at Iowa, too, um, your freshman year. You had two top five finishes and a top ten indoor finish at the outdoor, or sorry, outdoor Big Ten Championships. What was it like to kind of, you know, go in your freshman year and have that kind of success right off the bat? Yeah. Um, It's a bit shocking going in, I think. So I had one state in high school, so I thought that I was all that going into college. And then all of a sudden you get there and then all everyone on your team was a big that was like a state champion so you're just one of the many and so I just think I I tried to trust the coaches as much as I could and try to just um learn from them as much as I could and I think it worked out like I had a great um freshman year so yeah yeah and then you also had a pretty good sophomore year too you had a top five finish 
the Iowa State Classic and the Musco Twilight, a seventh place finish at the Indoor Big Ten Championships, and a sixth place finish at the Outdoor Big Ten Championships. So, I mean, after your sophomore year, you got to be thinking, you know, I'm pretty good at this. How do I, you know, take it to the next level? And, you know, what what did all that success mean to you? And how did you kind of, I guess, progress from there? Yeah. So at the time, I was also training for the heptathlon. So um, I only actually completed one. Um, but I think just all the extra training and um, the individualized training that my coaches had, I think, I think that just worked out for me. And I think... Um, it's very easy to keep momentum rolling, but at the same time, when uh, you've been jumping for so long, uh, it kind of takes a toll on your body after a little bit. So um, after that sophomore season, I think I had a back injury and then a bit of a knee injury. So I was battling that my junior season. And then um, going into my senior year, it was the indoor season was a bit rough on my knee. And I remember going into... Um, the Big Ten Championships, my coaches were like, okay, your knee's really bad, like, you can still jump if you would like, or you could go get it checked out by a doctor, but if you go to the doctor, then if they say, hey, you have to sit out, or we have to do surgery or something, then we have to listen to them, or you can just tough it out for your senior year. So I was like, I'm just going to tough it out for my senior year, and it was a little bit rough at the beginning, but, um, yeah, and then... Obviously, my outdoor season got canceled, so uh, 2020 outdoor was my senior year. So I lost that year of eligibility, so that was a little bit a little um, surprising as well. So. Yeah, so in track, you just lose the year, or did you have the opportunity to come back because of the COVID year and just decided not to? Yeah, so technically, I still have my outdoor eligibility. <laughs> so it's funny, so my athletes just joke all the time that they're like, hey, you can hop you in this meet if you want, and I'm like, I don't think I can jump. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's pretty funny, but I remember um, after Big Tens, we were getting ready to go for our first outdoor meet, our spring break trip. We were going down to Arizona, and I remember... Um, it was right after our one of our lifting sessions, our strength and conditioning coach, we were all talking about COVID and we were like, nothing's gonna happen. Like it's just, it's just COVID. And uh, we were talking to him about it and he's like, they don't cancel sports. Like World War II, they had women stepping in and playing baseball. Like they don't cancel sports. And then literally later that night, I got a message that outdoor season was canceled. And then my coach was calling me saying, hey, you gotta, you gotta go home. Like you gotta move out. Like we have to get you off campus. So. It was, it was very fast and very, like, abrupt and, um, I think, a lot to work through, but, yeah. Yeah, and that would have been your last semester academically, too, mm-hmm. right? So how did that work out? Did you have to wind up taking online classes to finish out, or were you able to come back on campus? Um, luckily, I was already... So for your last semester, you're allowed to be less than full-time. So um, I was only in, I think, like, six credits or something, and one of them was already online, so... Um, yeah, I think we just switched into online classes and ended up getting my degree. So, yeah. But I'm sure you were you able to walk and everything or did you kind of have to skip that? Um No, we had to do an online uh graduation ceremony. Yeah, that so. was probably pretty disappointing. Yes, a little bit, a little bit. So, yeah, and another I've didn't mention this earlier, but you actually still have a top 10 on the Iowa Mm-hmm. top 10 as well. I believe you're number eight in the, I can't remember if it was high jump or 
pole vault? Yes, in the high jump. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty impressive, too. What does yeah. that kind of mean to you to still, you know, that's obviously a big school that's now pretty successful in the sport. Yeah. What does that kind of mean to you? Yes. I ho I'm hoping to cling on to that top 10 list as long as I can, but um, I feel very fortunate to be, um, I think, just like a stepping stone in that program. Like, I think I was, I think that all of, all of my teammates at that time were um, part of what's building it into the program that it is today. So, yeah. Um, earlier, you kind of mentioned that your, both your parents were coaches. So was that something you kind of knew you wanted to do from a young age? Was coaching kind of just ingrained in you, or what made you, what made you make the decision that you wanted to coach, and when did you kind of start thinking about that? Yeah. Um, so like I said, like they were both coaches, my coaches growing up and everything. So I think I was just around it so much that it just made sense. Like I loved it, and it was just something I knew a lot about. And then um, when I got to Iowa, I was kind of juggling all those things that freshmen do, trying to hop in and try the waters and everything. But, um, yeah, and I found out that they had sport, sport and recreation management, and then I could focus in coaching and sport instruction, and it just, that route just felt right. So, yeah. Yeah, and then you kind of mentioned already having to deal with some injuries your junior and senior year. Did that kind of help with the coaching aspect a little bit too? I'm sure you weren't able to practice like normal. Mm -hmm. Were you kind of able to be a little bit of a student athlete coach a little bit? Um, sometimes. Like, so my coach, she also coached the heptathlon and the decathlon. So she was kind of all over the place sometimes. And um, that just kind of made us help each other out along the way. So, um, yeah, so I think I just got a bit of hands-on experience with them. And then, um, like I said, my mom was always a coach, and I remember, like, going back for, like, some weekends or um, on the holidays and stuff, and she'd be like, well, I'm doing this lesson today, and I would just go help her out. So, yeah, and even now I take videos of my jumpers, and if I get kind of lost on something, I'm like, Mom, look at this video and tell me what you think. So, yeah. Sure, and then uh, you graduated in what, May of 20, right? Mm -hmm. And then you got this job in August of 20. So what was it that, I mean, were, you, were there a bunch of jobs you kind of applied to? What about South Dakota Mine specifically interested you? Yeah, so um, after that COVID year, so everything got canceled, and I was debating if I wanted to go back for my fifth year, and I was like, I don't want to go back to school at all. So my coach... She was like, well, just apply, start applying to stuff um, and get experience. And then, so my plan was actually to go back to Iowa and just volunteer coach and get experience that way at a big program and then um, try to get my foot in the door somewhere. And then, um, so I was just applying to everything. I was very underqualified and I was applying for things. So, um, and then Steve Johnson actually sent an email to my coach and he was like, okay, we have an opening for a sprints jumps and hurdles coach if you have anybody that could be interested encourage them to apply and i applied and here i am what was it you know in that you know meeting with steve did you guys click pretty early on or what what made you realize that you wanted to learn from him yeah um i think he a lot of coaches aren't willing to uh put in the time to teach someone how to coach. Uh, so like I said, I studied it and everything, but it's very different in a classroom versus on the track. So he helped me navigate a lot of those relationships as soon as I got here. So I'm very, very thankful for him for taking a chance on someone who had very little experience in it. So, yeah. Well, I think part of that too is 
he was kind of in the same boat way back when yeah. he did, he wasn't even a college athlete mm-hmm. and he got an opportunity with virtually no experience at Mary. Yeah. So I think part of that, you know, is him kind of realizing, oh, I didn't have much experience and it worked out for me, so maybe I can continue that rather than hiring somebody who maybe doesn't need yeah need it if that yeah. makes sense yes um so in obviously when you came in um we've had some success historically in field events but not necessarily jumping it's been more of kind of the throwing areas that have been pretty good historically um what when you got in what was kind of your strategy on trying to build up the jumping yeah so um when i got here we had no multi-event athletes so we didn't have anybody that did the heptathlon or the decathlon and um my first year that was my goal was to build up that program because there was also a gap in the conference and that i think that year there were only seven or eight men that had competed in it so um I think our goal for scoring points at the conference, like, obviously we want to win. We want to score points. So I was like, okay, there's a gap in the conference in these events. This is what I want to build up. So um, we had two guys that did it last year. Uh, Jonathan broke the school record in the heptathlon and then set it in the decathlon outdoor as well. Um, And then this year we had five that competed indoor. And um, the USTF CCCA does squad rankings. And our multi-event squad was ranked ninth in the nation. So we went from having nobody to to being ranked ninth in the nation in one year so I think that um that squad works really really well together that's a great group of guys that that train well together so yeah so where do you kind of get your um obviously coaching is a very it's a very organized I want this to look this way I want you know and just how you set the culture and everything mm-hmm. where do you kind of draw that inspiration from yourself was is it your parents is it somebody you learned from in college yeah um so i think my head coach in high school he was very good about like i had said track can be very individual um but he made sure that when it got to these conference meets or anything like that he made sure that everyone knew their role like okay we think you can score this many points and the high jump and he's like okay I need you to jump this and everyone knew what they had to do so um I think just making sure that everybody has a role was is kind of my um, biggest thing in track sure um you kind of earlier we kind of touched on you being from a small town what was your kind of transition like obviously first Iowa City which is a big college town and then also to Rapid City where it's a, a big town but more of a small town feel yeah um, so the town, it, it, this town reminds me a lot of Peoria growing up, except there are hills in the Black Hills. Illinois is very flat. A lot of yes. cornfields. Yes. Um, so I think just, uh, I think transitioning from a small town to like a big school like Iowa and then back here was a little bit interesting. And then moving out here in the middle of a pandemic, I think I signed a lease for an apartment before ever visiting Rapid City. I think I just jumped on the opportunity when Steve offered me the job and I said yes without ever visiting. So I just, I just kind of hopped into it, but I think I love Rapid City. It's great. Yeah. I guess as a young coach, it's kind of just like, I don't really care what town I'm in. I just want to coach. So that makes sense. Um, Getting back to a little bit more of the program stuff. Uh, just in your two years here, just on the jumps, you've had 
12 indoor top 10s, hard rocker top 10s, 7 outdoor top 10s, 4 second team all-conferences, a first team all-conference, and an All-American. So what has it kind of been like to be able to, you kind of mentioned just not having, and that's not even including like Jeremiah, who just broke a school record in the hurdles and not including any hurdlers or the success with Jonathan and the HEP or Jade and the HEP. Um, what has it kind of been like to be able to basically bring that program from what it was when you got here to looking at it now? Yeah. Um, there are lots of ups and downs, I think. Um, I think just being trying to be as creative as I can with our workouts because we don't have an indoor track. So a lot of times we're in a gym trying to um, practice some of these jumps so it can be a little bit interesting sometimes, but I think our athletes are very good about being flexible and um, helping me be creative with some of their workouts so we can get in the work that they need. But, um, yeah, I think that they're, I think they're all doing great. I think um, the indoor season went really well, so I'm looking forward to the outdoor, yeah. Yeah, you had a little bit of success in the indoor season. What, what do you think were the positives and maybe areas you think you can improve from the indoor season? Yeah, um... Well, now that the weather's getting a little bit nicer, obviously practicing outdoors is great. Um, but in the jumping events, I think uh, I think Jeremiah's looking really good in the long jump. I think I think he could do he could do some damage outdoor. Um, and then Cameron Scully is very very close to the um, outdoor pole vault record. I think Jonathan Hopkins is close to it. Um, Travis is really I think he's really gunning for the decathlon record. So I think I think a lot of records are going to fall outdoor. So. Yeah, and then kind of already talked about this, but uh, obviously you just got back from your opening meet mm -hmm. of the outdoor season. You had a hard rocker top 10 and then two top fives from the jumpers. What are your kind of expectations? I mean, I guess going into this outdoor season and then how do you kind of improve from what happened Saturday? Yeah. Um, so it was the first, like, like you said, our first outdoor meet, and I think um, – there were some positives that came from it, but also there's a lot of room for growth, I think. So um, I'm just excited to see what they do. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, yeah. Jill. Um, that wraps us up today. Thank you to both of our guests, Hannah Wendell and Jillian Yuricki, for joining us today. This has been the Hard Rocker Huddle, and I'm Josh Van Valkenburg-Gernert, signing off.